Um, hi, welcome to the Normal and Good podcast, formerly known as Talking Without Driving, except that podcast feed is dead because it was attached to my married name, which doesn't exist anymore. Anyway, I'm Amber Sorensen, and joining me is Lindsay Sunderland. Hi, Lindsay. Hello! And we're going to start by watching Hannibal and doing a rewatch. Well, rewatch for me. First time for Lindsay. It is my first time. When Hannibal first came out, I was intrigued, and I had a lot of friends who were watching it, but I did not have cable television, and I was working frantically to find a house for myself and my husband in the Hunger Games that is married housing in our part of the world. And we weren't really friends back then as we, much. We were getting there. We were I getting think there. We were acquaintances, but... I think our friendship, like, truly blossomed, like, right before we got married. Yeah. Not to each other at the same time. (laughs) No. So, yeah, this is the inaugural episode. For those of you who are wondering why we're not doing what you may have heard we were originally going to do for our rewatch, we couldn't find a schedule yet that wouldn't take us two years to get through. Yep. We were going to do X-Files. I did do a blog post about it to bring people up to speed the people who happened to look at my blog. How did I miss... Oh, right. I got sick. I missed it because I was sick. We were initially going to do an X-Files rewatch, but there's like 209 episodes of X-Files and two feature-length films. And even if we talked about two or three or four episodes per podcast, it would still take probably the better part of two years to get through it all. So I'm going to take a second look at that and maybe toss out some of the worst episodes, like (laughs) three, because no one cares about vampires, and... I do not remember that episode. No, because it's horrible. But we're not talking about X-Files, we're talking about Hannibal. So tonight we're covering season one, episodes one, two, and three. And before we get started, I just want to make sure that everybody knows... This is the TV show that aired on NBC starting in 2013. It has nothing to do with the original novels by Thomas Harris. Am I right? That's right. And it also has nothing to do with the great movies that you probably have seen with Anthony Hopkins. I actually haven't even seen those, and I haven't read any of the original novels. So if you have not either, that is fine. You do not need to know any of those things. No, you definitely don't. I have literally only seen Silence of the Lambs. Hannibal actually came up as an option for us to watch because I showed my husband Silence of the Lambs over our anniversary so he could get a lot of the jokes that I use. I lost my train of thought. The whole thing just went right off the tracks. No, which... Oh, I remembered. My mom asked me, like, two days ago if I've ever seen Silence of the Lambs and was kind of astounded that I hadn't seen it. Which I get, because I'm me. But I told her that I actually don't want to watch it until after we finish this, because I don't want to have that in my head when I'm talking about this. That is definitely fair. I will say Anthony Hopkins' performance is iconic, and I have a lot of trivia to hit you with once we get to that point. 
but it's very different from what Mickelson does. But I, I like that. I'm all for pluralism in portrayals of a character. And really quick, before we start, before we start again, just quick pronunciation guide. I looked up the pronunciation of Mass Mickelson's name, uh-huh. and it's just Mass, like M-A-S. Really? It's like the last syllable of Christmas, or Thomas. It's just like huh. Mass. And then Mickelson is right, like Mickle rhymes with nickel. Now we know that. Okay, so... I've been saying it wrong this whole time. I've been sounding like typical 80s American teacher. Mads. Mads. Okay. Let us get started for real this time. So season one, episode one is called aperitif, which means a small alcoholic drink served before a meal to stimulate the appetite. This episode was written by Brian Fuller, directed by David Slade. It aired April 4th, 2013, and was viewed by an estimated 4.36 million people in the United States. Episode two is titled Amuse-Bouche, which is a bite-sized, savory item of food served as an appetizer before a meal. It was written by Jim Danger Gray, which is just awesome name. I appreciate that so much. Directed by Michael Reimer, it aired April 11th, 2013, and had 4.38 million U.S. viewers. Episode 3 is called Potage, um, which is a thick soup or stew. Episode 3 was written by David Fury, Chris Brancato and Brian Fuller, directed by David Slade. It aired on April 18th, 2013, and was viewed by an estimated 3.51 million people. Um, And I did forget to mention that Brian Fuller is kind of the creator of the whole show, so you'll probably hear us talk about him the most. Um, And I also just want to give him a quick shout out because he liked one of my tweets where I told him I was doing this podcast a couple months ago. That's wonderful. And then also on his website, like the website for his production company, he has all the shooting scripts for every episode of Hannibal, which have been like so helpful in prepping for this podcast. And now I'm going to summarize all of these. Ready, set, go. Episode one, we open on a grisly murder scene with one denim-clad dweeb just standing there with his eyes closed Will Graham, played by Hugh Dancy, narrates how he did the murder. Oh, wait, he's just teaching a class at the FBI Academy. Jack, played by Lawrence Fishburne, interrupts and pushes Will's glasses up without his consent and says Will has a gift for empathy, a.k.a. an active imagination. Eight girls, matchy-matchy girls, abducted in Minnesota, and Jack needs Will's help to catch the killer, but Will doesn't want to be sociable. At the victim's house, the corpse of Elise Nichols has been returned to her bed, We meet Beverly Katz, the chill girl, Jimmy Price, the dad one, and Brian Zeller, the young guy. Beverly fangirls over Will and asks if he's unstable. Beverly finds antler velvet in the wounds and Price thinks that's weird. Will says it's an apology, so now we have a kind-hearted serial killer, question mark. Driving home, Will picks up a stray dog and names it Winston. Will is a sweaty nightmare boy. Jack and Will have a very important conversation in the bathroom from The Shining. Will says he couldn't show her he loved her, so he put her corpse back. In the crime lab, Beverly Katz finds a curly piece of industrial metal, a pipe thread on Elise Nichols' nightgown. We meet Alana Bloom, the queen of wrap dresses. She refuses to do a psychology study on Will she makes. Jack promised Will won't get too close. Katz, Price, and Zeller find that Elise Nichols' liver was removed and then put back because it has cancer. Will says he's eating them. Enter Hannibal. We see Fancy Pants Hannibal Lecter, played by Mass Mickelson, eating dinner. A bearded guy cries in therapy with Hannibal and then leaves messy tissues on the table. Jack visits Hannibal to help create a profile of the killer or of Will Graham. Hannibal and Will both have untasty thoughts. Will is bad at making jokes. 
Hannibal says he will help Will find the cannibal they are looking for. Cassie Boyle's corpse is discovered mounted on a stag head in Minnesota. She fits the profile, but Will knows this wasn't the same killer. This is the negative to the killer's positive. This killer took Cassie Boyle's lungs. Will realizes that the serial killer has a daughter, which is why he's killing all these girls. Hannibal eats lungs, I mean lunch. Will hallucinates a raven stag. The next morning, Hannibal brings Will breakfast, scrambled eggs, and sausage. Will doesn't find Hannibal interesting, but Hannibal says he will. They investigate a construction company. Hannibal calls the bad guy and tells him they know. Garrett Jacob Hobbs kills his wife and almost kills his daughter Abigail, but Will guns him down. Alana lectures Jack for letting Will get too close. Will goes to visit Abigail Hobbs in the hospital. Hannibal is there, asleep in the chair next to her bed. <gasps> Episode 2. Will is at the shooting range and the target paper looks like Garrett Jacob Hobbs and Will panics. Will wakes up in the passenger seat of a car at a new crime scene. Garrett Jacob Hobbs' hunting cabin. Deer are there, but no trace of people corpses. Also, there is an antler room. Jack thinks Abigail helped her dad kill and butcher the girls. Freddie Lowndes, a writer for Tattlecrime.com, was creeping in the crime scene and writing articles about it. Will does not enjoy being applauded. Alana comes to check on Will, who says therapy doesn't work on him. Hannibal rubber stamps Will's psyche valve so they can talk without paperwork between them. Later, some kids find a mushroom garden growing out of dead and dying bodies. Will enjoys the shooting range some more until Beverly Katz comes to retrieve him. Freddie Lowndes creeps around the crime scene some more and is a liar pants to get detectives to talk to her. Will hallucinates Garrett Jacob Hobbs in one of the graves, and then the living dead guy, shout out to Brian Fuller, grabs him, but Hannibal says it's nothing to worry about. <laughs> living dead guy. <laughs> Freddie Lowndes lies some more to get into Hannibal's office and record his and Will's therapy session, and Hannibal finds her and is angry. Hannibal serves loin with a Cumberland sauce of red fruits to Jack for dinner, and they talk about Will. Will and the crime team figure out that all the victims were diabetic, in diabetic comas because the killer must be a pharmacist and he's going to want to grow a new mushroom garden. Jack, Will, and a SWAT team storm the pharmacy, but the pharmacist isn't there. In the trunk of his car, they find fresh compost and a fresher victim. Turns out Freddie also wrote an article about Will on tattlecrime.com and Hannibal is not pleased. Psych! Freddie is not dead, but she is being detained by the FBI for trespassing and contaminating all the crime scenes. Jack won't indict her as long as she stops writing about Will. Will hangs out at the hospital, and the raven stag walks by in the hall outside. He wakes up to find Alana reading to Abigail. The detective from before is mad at Freddy because he's getting fired for telling her all the things, even though he says he didn't tell her all the things. The pharmacist shows up and shoots the detective and demands Freddy tell him about Will. Later, Freddy tells Jack that Abigail is in danger from the pharmacist, who will try to bury her so Will can connect with her, in air quotes. Stamets, the pharmacist, kidnaps Abigail at the hospital and Will shoots him. Will and Hannibal talk about how killing feels good sometimes. Okay, episode three. Abigail Hobbs and her father are hunting a deer. Abigail brings the deer down and her dad is so proud, but wait, is it a human girl, not a deer? Abigail wakes up from her coma. Will wears tiny undershorts and Alana wants to have coffee. Abigail is moved to the Port Haven Psychiatric Facility. Alana Bloom is assigned to her case and she brings presents. Will talks to his FBI class about Garrett Jacob Hobbs' murders and the murder of Cassie Boyle. Hannibal walks in and smirks to see his handiwork on the projector screen, as Will calls him an intelligent psychopath. Freddie Lowndes has tracked down Abigail Hobbs, is interrupted by Abigail's two dads, I mean Hannibal and Will. <laughs> Will takes off his glasses. Will inadvertently threatens Freddie Lowndes. Freddie meets with Nicholas Boyle, the brother of Cassie Boyle from the Staghead. They both seem to think that Gary Jacob Hobbs was responsible for her murder. Freddie tells him that Abigail woke up. Abigail goes home to find that her house has been graffitied with the word cannibals all over the place. 
Abigail's friend Marissa Short comes over to say hi. They're interrupted by Nicholas Boyle, who accuses Abigail of murdering his sister. Marissa throws a rock at him and hits him in the forehead. Hannibal notices the rock and covers it with leaves. Will dreams about killing Abigail and the raven stag looks injured. Sweaty nightmares. The next day at the cabin, Marissa Schur's body is discovered impaled in the antler room. Jack immediately suspects Abigail or possibly the copycat, but Will knows that whoever killed Cassie Boyle also killed Marissa Short. Back at the Hobbs house, Freddie Lowndes is still poking around and says that somebody else is on the property. Abigail finds a homemade pillow stuffed with human hair and starts oh. to freak out. Nicholas Boyle surprises her and he guts him. Wait. <laughs> Nicholas Boyle surprises her and she guts him with a hunting knife. Alana is about to walk in on the scene, but Hannibal knocks her out and tells Abigail he will help her. Jack has clearly bought <coughs> Hannibal's story of Nicholas Boyle breaking in to hurt Abigail and knocking out Alana and Hannibal. Jack believes that Nicholas Boyle escaped. Later again, Abigail escapes her hospital and goes to visit Hannibal at his home office. She confronts him about calling her dad before he tried to kill her. Hannibal and Abigail agree to keep each other's secrets. <sighs> so that was the three episodes that we watched. It's a lot, but a good a lot. And I have lots of thoughts, and they're kind of in order, but let's just jump into it, and you go first. Okay. Because you're new. So, let me say right off the bat, first and foremost, I am very concerned for Will Graham. Like, he's, he's just dealing with so much already, and then, like, there's the fact that we, the audience, know that Hannibal Lecter is not a good person who necessarily has Will's best best interest in mind, and also is kind of being Will's little murder cat. That's what I compared it to when he put Cassie Boyle on the on the antlers. Like, this is like a cat bringing a, a mouse to its human. Like, I murdered this for Which you. Which one is the cat? Hannibal the Hannibal's cat? Hannibal's the cat. Okay, I was... Hannibal's the cat, Cassie Boyle's the mouse, Will is the human that's looking at the cat like, why? Mm-hmm. Except he doesn't know that Hannibal's his murder cat. Which is just so interesting to me, like... There's this moment in episode one, right after they find Cassie Boyle, or wait, it might be episode two or three where they're talking about her later, Uh and Will's talking to his FBI class about how the killer of Cassie Boyle knew details of the crime scenes and knew details of the murders, like how else did he get them? But they also know that Freddie Lowndes is creeping around and getting information that she's not supposed to have. Mm -hmm. So I think they just assume it comes from her. But, like, looking at it now, I feel like it's so obvious that it's Hannibal because he told him all the details of the crimes. It's also been a really long time since I watched this for the first time, so I don't remember if it was that obvious, like, back then or not. I feel like it might be. I was mostly just a good chunk of my emotions as I watched this series is screaming for Will. Get out of there. Go home. Go anywhere else. You're not safe here. But with that in mind, this series is masterful at the tension. Just all of the tension, all of the time. But it's never exhausting. It's always tense, but the tension just sort of pulls you in. Not, like, to put too fine a point on it, but it's delicious. That is both the best and the worst word you could use for this. It is literally delicious. Also, apologies if you're hearing music in the background. People are hanging out in other parts of the house. Um, Okay. The first thing in my notes is that some of the male characters from the novels, even though I said you don't have to know about those, um, were repurposed as females because there's no diversity or representation in the original novels, like, at all. 
Um, so Brian Fuller turned Alan Bloom and Fred Lowndes into Alana Bloom and Freddie Lowndes and made them both female just to have them be female, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, I like that. Um, good job. And it was only 2013. Like, he was kind of ahead of the curve as all that, as far as that goes, you know? Yeah. Like, which yeah. I think is super impressive. Also, foreshadowing bit, um, the opening murder scene where he walks in and he shoots the guy through the neck and and then he shoots the wife through the neck and doesn't kill her and then uses the home alarm system to fake that everything's okay. Uh-huh. Um, that's actually foreshadowing to a character that we will see again in season three. Oh. It has like similar home invasion murders where he keeps the victims alive so that they can see what he's doing. He's just not very good at it yet. He gets better at it and then we see him again in season three which I thought was super cool because I always recognized it after I watched it for the first time I was like why is this murder like familiar because it's the same guy Um, is it is it the red dragon mm -hmm. okay I wondered yeah or it's the guy who will become the red dragon I guess technically I know about that because one of my friends who's a big fan of the movies is a big fan of that because she is a big Ray Fiennes fan. Oh, so. is he in the movies? He's the Red Dragon. What? Yes. Do you know who's the Red Dragon in season three? No. Okay, I'm not going to tell you. Oh, you shouldn't. No, I'm not going to. <laughs> I'm just like, he's in my head camp of people. He is near Ray Fiennes camp in my head where I organize things. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know if that is going to make any sense until we find out who he is, but... Let's we'll we'll put that on the shelf. And we'll I'll talk let you about know when we get there. Also, I noticed that when Jack first comes to Hannibal's office, to talk to him, and they're looking at Hannibal's art, and Hannibal's talking about how a scalpel sharp, um, is better pencil sharpener, mm-hmm. and Hannibal keeps picking up the scalpel and the pencil and moving them to different parts of the table, so they're always within reach. And then, like, he picks them up and he walks them over to the other table and sets them down, like as he's following Jack through the room. See, I didn't notice that. It makes sense for a psychiatrist, but it also makes sense for Dr. A Hannibal Lecter as dude. we know, as we the audience know who he is. Yeah, well, and the first thing is, like, he shows up and Hannibal's like, yeah, sure, come in. But also, like, he's smart enough to know that he always needs to be on his guard. You know, he can't ever, like, let his guard down and, like, chill or, like, be his actual self. Because... Yeah. I mean, he does a little bit because he knows he's smarter than everybody else in the room, which is why he keeps making stupid little cannibal jokes that go over everyone's head. Um, What? I, oh gosh, I forgot. I remember seeing someone did a giant compilation of gifts. Of all the little cannibal jokes Of all the little cannibal jokes. And I remember, I remember looking on Tumblr one day because I would have missed my stuff if I tried to scroll past it too fast. And I was just scrolling through like, oh my goodness, are they even trying to be <laughs> Did you send it to it? me? I don't get on Tumblr very often anymore, but in the future, please send me all the things. Okay, well, we've gone over like three of my things, so... Okay, things. Um, fair warning for all y'all, you're going to be hearing me talk about Alana Bloom a lot on this show. She is one of my absolute favorite characters so far, possibly my, like, capital F favorite character... Well, we need someone to balance out me just, like, fangirling over Hannibal the whole time, so it's probably good. I just... She's just such a good ethical person, but she doesn't let people jerk her around, and I want to steal her entire closet. Like, all of it. 
only three episodes in, and I want her only closet. And I, I wrote down in my notes, she is the only sane person in this show. That sounds about right. I'm just, like, I'm trying to, like, stay on topic and not get too distracted by, like, how all these relationships are going to develop, because I'm so excited. Yeah. Okay. I, honestly, for some reason when you said that, made me think of how I explained the show to Jesse. What did you say? I said, so... And he's like, so is it Silence of the Lambs? I'm like, no, it doesn't cover Silence of the Lambs, honey. What you need to know is, um, I was still saying it, Mads Mickelson, but Mads Mickelson, Galen Erso, is, of course, Hannibal Lecter. He's a not sane cannibal person, and he has to help out um, Prince Charmant from Ella Enchanted, who is good at getting inside killers' heads I'm and gonna, figuring out I'm why they do things. I'm going to take issue with you calling Hannibal not sane because I think he is perfectly sane and that's what makes him so terrifying. However, please continue. Well, no, because there's a thing. There's a thing. And if, if Jesse were not already probably engaged in important computer work of his own, I would bring him out here. There's a thing that happens when you eat human meat where you go, you're not technically... Specifically s- the brain. Yeah. There's a thing that happens to your brain when you eat human meat and you're and you you're not normal anymore. Like obviously you're not normal if you eat human meat. I'm talking about there's something that happens to your brain. And like on ex- a chemical level. Yeah, it will make you go insane. He yeah. explained it to me once because he was explaining that it's why you can't let meat get into pig scraps because the same thing will happen to pigs if they eat any kind of meat. Eventually they will go after humans and have to be put down. Put a pin in that. Um, what? Moving on. Will is on the autism spectrum. Which I think is cool, because, like, hashtag representation and all that jazz. Yeah. Um, again, 2013, props to Brian Fuller being a little ahead of the curve on all this. Um, but Snaps. I think it's a major... Um, like, knowing that and knowing that eye contact is an issue is super interesting, like, going forward and watching it. Because you notice when Will looks at people and when he doesn't. Because most of the time he doesn't. He looks two people in the eye. Maybe three if you count Alana. But mostly it's just Abigail and Hannibal. Are the only two people who he looks at in the eye and without wearing his glasses. Which I think is cool. Like, it is cool. It's nice to know that he that he's on the spectrum. I Most of my foreknowledge of Hannibal, again, comes from Tumblr. Everyone I knew was obsessed with it when it first premiered. I did not have time. I was already watching too much other stuff fit in another show back then but i just remember thinking in all the gift sets that will looked tired and pissed off all the time i mean he is but you know but also when i found out that he was on the spectrum when i watched the first episode for the first time i i just thought that was so cool and that it explained a lot Mm -hmm. and i was just surprised that people didn't talk about it more because it's so talked about now well and i wonder if it's one of those things that like is so obvious to the fans that it almost doesn't bear doesn't need to be addressed. It's like how one of the main theories of how Sherlock survived the fall was by putting that rubber ball under his arm. Or not survived the fall, but like how he faked his death. death. Yeah. And it was so obvious that nobody ever even talked about it. So then Moffis and Moff whatever Moftis. Moffit Moftis got it into their head that we hadn't figured it out. So then they were all like, there's a big clue that nobody has seen yet. And we were like, yeah, it's the ball we know. It was so obvious that we didn't even bother talking about it because everybody already knew that that was a thing. 
I actually did not know that was a thing, but I don't study much pressure point stuff. I have tested. It works. Like, if you have a low ball, I will show you right now. Yes. Um, All the rubber balls are actually locked up with the sleeping child. Well, not locked up, but like I spy a tennis ball in the dog crate. If you want to get into this, I will commit to touching the dog tennis ball. No, no. Um, Okay. Don't make your pulse go away. Back to Will's. It's just in the arm for a couple minutes. It's super weird. It just, it reminds, for some reason, when people talk about doing that, it reminds me of the choking game. I was about to say the same thing. Super unsettling. Um, And then I also wanted to talk about. Like, my first favorite quote moment, which is from the con- uh, the conversation about Will's eye contact. Because he says that, like, he says, eyes are distracting. You see too much. You don't see enough. And it's hard to focus when you're thinking, are those whites really white? Or they must have hepatitis. Or is that a burst vein? So I try to avoid eyes whenever possible. And Hannibal, like, this is the first time they've met. And he gets everything about Will almost immediately. He says... Yeah. I imagine what you see and learn touches everything else in your mind. Your values and decency are present, yet shocked at your associations, appalled at your dreams. There's no forts in the bone arena of your skull for the things you love. Because Will talks about building forts to protect himself from all the bad shit he's exposed to every day. And Hannibal just knocks it right on the head. He's like, yeah, but you can't protect the things you love. And, like, he just sees right through Will's everything in, like, the first minute. Yeah. And it's awesome and um, terrifying. But also, like, on that note, like, as you, like, learn these guys' faces, because so much of their performance is delivered without the words. Oh, yeah. And I wrote, you say it best when you say nothing at all in my notes, because I was like, that is how this whole show goes. So, Yeah. Yeah, like, I remember on that part, I, I've often wondered, I could probably, I probably should try, like, tweeting about this, like, I wonder, like, because the way Will describes why he doesn't like eyes and where his brain goes to if he tries to make eye, eye contact, I almost wonder if, if Fuller interviewed people on the spectrum when or he was writing for Will. Or at the very least, Will. he just really did his homework. True. One way or another, interviewing or homework research, you know. And then the last note I have for episode one is the set design and cinematography. It's very, it's very Kubrickian. It's very, it's very Stanley Kubrick. Like, you made the comment that they have an important conversation in the bathroom from The Shining. The bathroom. It's, it's, that's where it's most obvious, but just every shot in the this symmetry, show for is sure. pretty. Every shot in this show is pretty. And well, and like Brian Fuller is a huge horror geek. Like that's his whole thing. So, well, isn't his well, you said his production company is called Living Dead Guy. It literally is called that. <laughs> yeah. So that's obvious, but the thing that it, that made me say Kubrickian other than the bathroom from The Shining is there's a moment in the director's battle episode of Epic Rap Battles of History where Stanley Kubrick has a line, every frame of painting made just how I want to make it. And literally every That's good. frame in this, it's, it's a painting. It's beautiful. It's richly colored. 
It's perfectly lit. It's perfectly shot. But you don't have to deal with the fact that sometimes Mr. Kubrick likes to dub the soundtrack over the actors so you don't have a dang clue what's going on. And yes, I am still mad about 2001 A Space Odyssey. David Lynch has the same problem. See, I have been watching a lot of Twin Peaks because uh, shout out to rewatchers on the pod which is the podcast that honestly inspired me to get back into podcasting um, and do this. And they've been doing Twin Peaks. And David Lynch has the same problem with audio. Is that, like, watching, like, the Twin Peaks movie was so hard to watch. Not just because it's David Lynch and very unsettling, um, which is a whole, like, form and content discussion that we could have another time. (laughs) It's unsettling for, like, different reasons than Hannibal's unsettling. But, yeah, the audio is always a little bit tricky because sometimes the soundtrack is very loud or, like... People screaming is very loud, but then talking is not very loud, which forces me to turn on subtitles, which I usually don't like, and then actually watch the thing instead of like being on my phone the whole time. Good heck, so I it's hate a win lose. Anyway, we could talk about Twin Peaks all day, but if you want to talk about Twin Peaks, go listen to the rewatchers on the pod because there's a lot of them and they do it better than I do. So, um, my other notes: the Raven Stag is a thing that will hallucinates and i don't know if that's like officially what it's called but that's what the fans called it because it's a stag with feathers so it's a raven stag that's what those are i just thought its fur was whacked (laughs) um i'm kind of thinking of being it for halloween (laughs) i'm not sure though that'd be interesting i would just get like black clothes and put feathers like on them and then like do antlers and then okay so i've watched this show about a billion times and by a billion i mean like three or four yeah yeah um but i can't figure out what I think the raven stag symbolizes. See, I always thought it was kind of an impending sense of danger slash like okay, um, so spoiler alert fam, I am a giant Agatha Christie fan. You're probably gonna hear me mention her a lot. Cause there's murders happening in this show. Yeah. Um, there is a line, and I forget which Poirot it's from, but it's one of the ones with his friend Ariadne Oliver, because she always puts down when she feels something is wrong and he needs to come solve a murder to her, you know, woman's intuition. And there's a line, and I'm pretty sure they didn't just make it up for the David Suchet series, but I think it's in one of the books. Yeah, David Suchet is iconic. If you haven't seen his series, go watch it. What are you doing with your life? Go watch it after you listen to this episode. After you listen to this episode, go get it. There's either, it's definitely in an episode, and I think it's also in one of the books, where he says that, you know, people talk about woman's intuition like it's nothing, but no, it is something. It's your brain's way of communicating something to you when it can't accurately recall all of your memories you've had of something. It's little things you pick up on, but don't necessarily store. So your brain just has the room to store it as thing bad. Mm Mm-hmm. And then when you need the information, it will give it to you, but yeah. you don't necessarily know where it's coming from. And I've, I've, especially, and this may be influenced because I saw a metric ton of fan art with Hannibal with staghorns behind him oh, in some capacity. That's actually a different thing. Oh, which will come up later. So yeah, there's the Raven Stag, and then there's also Hannibal as the Wendigo. Oh, which is a different hallucination of Will's. Sometimes they're the same thing, but sometimes they're not, which makes me wonder 
more about the Raven Stag because Hannibal as Wendigo is kind of obvious. Okay, but, yeah. And we can talk about that more yeah. when it shows up, but that's why I still don't know what yeah. I think about it. And Because there is that moment in episode three where Will dreams that he's Abigail's dad and he kills her. And the yeah. Raven Stag looks like it's been shot. The way it like starts to fall down right before he wakes up. Yeah. Which is why I don't... Like, is it just like a manifestation of Will? Or is it like like his dark side that he's trying to suppress? I think or I remember what? seeing an interpretation that was like that. I honestly, partially because of all the fan art I saw with Hannibal with the, the antlers, but also probably possibly because the Raven Stag reminded me of the way that the Harry Potter production team animated Sirius Black's Animagus form. It looks like a deer version of a Grimm. So I kind of initially took it Ooh. as... It's Will's subconscious trying to warn him of the danger that his intuition is picking up on in situations from Hannibal, etc., etc. I like that. Plus, it ties back to Cassie Boyle's stag head, obviously. Yeah. And then also, there is a little stag statue in Hannibal's office, which plays a bigger role later. I'm gonna But, look like, this that. little statue actually, like, plays a role in some scenes, like... Oh. So that's interesting. I'm going to look for that next episode. My next note is Hannibal just really wants a friend, okay? That's all. I don't have anything else to say about that other than just, like, he does. He's kind of alone at the top of the food chain. And I I don't know that he always likes to be alone up there by himself. Well, you know, I don't think anyone really, truly wants to be alone. I joke sometimes that I married a misanthrope because... He's the introvertiest introvert. He is the introvertiest introvert because I, I don't even remember what I was doing, but I was going to be away from home all day with my daughter. And it was something Jesse didn't want to do. And it was on a day he had off work. And I was like, I mean, I could take you, but you wouldn't like it. But I can't. And I, because I am the extrovertiest extrovert, I looked at him dead in the eyes, knowing my husband. And I said, I can't leave you alone here. That would be so mean. And he had to, like... And he's like, no, dude, like, I'm good. He, like, took my face in his hands and said, sweetheart, that is the best thing you could do for me. Please leave me alone here. <laughs> Please let me... Because he works retail, too. He's the introvertiest introvert who works in a Has grocery store. Has the worst store. possible job for an introvert. Also, da -da -da -da, Hannibal says, the devil's in the details. What didn't your copycat do to the girl in the field? What gave it away? And when he's talking to Will when they're eating breakfast, uh -huh. um, the morning after he finds Cassie Boyle, and Hannibal is, like, leaning forward, and, like, he doesn't pause to take a breath between sentences. He's like, what happened? Like, what gave it away? How did you know? Because he's so excited to have somebody who's, like, on his level. Because I think he wants a friend, right? He doesn't want to be alone at the top of the food chain, but also he knows that nobody else is smart enough to be up there with him. So, like, watching him, like, mold Will into his friend is, like, my favorite thing. I don't remember, do you watch The Office? I, I never did. I, I was asked to watch an episode of it once for an assignment in an interpersonal communication class. And I don't know if it was because I was in high school because I haven't tried it again since, but I just, I didn't get the hype. Honestly, I hated it until about 2016. Um, but there's a scene in The Office that always reminds me of this. And... I will, I guess, describe it for our listeners, and then I will show you the scene later. Okay. Um, it's a Christmas party, and Dwight is being given pieces of his present instead of giving the whole present all at once. And it's, like, random, like, gears and, like, mechanical parts. Okay. 
And Michael goes over the intercom and goes like, what did Dwight get? It's space garbage. Dwight's going to be able to build himself a friend. And that is how I feel about Hannibal. Oh. <laughs> is that Hannibal is going to take all of Will's broken pieces and turn him into his friend. Um, Except Hannibal's not a good or healthy person. I'm so scared for Will Graham. <laughs> I mean, it could be argued that he is the good guy in the show and or the protagonist which are not always the same thing um but that also he is the only character in this show to be completely at peace with himself and his desires everybody else in this show has serious inner conflict and Hannibal is the only person who has like reached self-actualization right like in that hierarchy of needs yeah, he's at the top but his I'm self- just saying <laughs> His self-actualization involves... Murder and cannibalism. Yeah. But, like, if we set that aside, which I realize is not easy for most people to do, when Will is talking about how Jack sees him as a fragile little teacup, and the teacup metaphor is also one that will come back. Yeah. Um, a few times throughout the series, so just, like, keep your eyes open for that. And Will asks Hannibal, how do you see me? And Hannibal says... The mongoose I want under the house when the snakes slither by. Okay, I actually did love that quote. That is a good compliment to give someone. Isn't that like... Like, I have goosebumps right now. That was that was a good line. That, as, as a writer myself, I appreciate... I love, respect, and appreciate that line. Because Hannibal knows that if he can get Will on his side, either, like, Will knows his secrets, right? Or he just sees him as a friend and then wants to protect him, that, like, Will will keep him safe. And it's also an appreciation of Will's talent. Mm. Which, you know, I'm all for compliments that, uh, you know, appreciate a person's well, like, talent. And I feel like Hannibal is just dancing along this line of, like, legitimately admiring Will and then also exploiting him. And he just lives there the whole time. This man is a master of dancing lines, and there's a particular line that he likes to dance, and we'll get, I will get to that line in my notes, especially in episodes two and three. I've, I've talked about this line to you a lot, because I find it cool but unsettling. See, now all I can think about is of the Mads Mikkelsen is a ballerina, so now that's just happening in my brain right now, and it's great. Also, Hannibal is enjoying working with the FBI because it gives him insider knowledge about how to avoid them, which we already kind of talked about. Yeah. Oh, it's when they pull up in the car to the construction site, and Hannibal's all smiley, and Will is like, why are you smiling? And Hannibal's like, I'm looking inside the curtain, like, seeing how it works. And I'm like, yeah, of course you love this, because now you know how to avoid the FBI even better than you have already been doing your whole life. I hate the thing that just popped into my head, because it is Please not tell me. classy, it is not like Hannibal. Once upon a time, I had a friend show me a Chris Rock show segment called, and I am sorry for the language if any of my family are listening, the name of the segment is not How Not to Get Yo Ass Kicked by the Police. <laughs> and now I'm just picturing How Not to Get Yo Cannibal Ass Caught by the FBI. Yeah. Oh man, I'd watch that. Okay, when Will shoots Gary Jacob Hobbs, and then he is trying to save Hannibal, oh my gosh. I'm going to do this the whole time. Abigail and Hannibal are two different words. Okay, so Will shoots Garrett Jacob Hobbs, and then he's trying to staunch the flow of blood out of Abigail's neck. Uh-huh. As I, like, am holding my own throat. Um, and he looks over at Hobbs, and Hobbs goes, See? See? That was so what creepy. Is, what does he say? Like, what is he asking? Like, 
I don't know. I don't know what he's trying to get Will to see. I don't either. If it makes you feel better. Like, I still don't know. I don't know if it's, like... Like, some people have said, like, see how, like, Abigail is dying. Like, can you see how why I had to kill those other girls? Or, like, you just killed me and now I'm going to die. And you see that it feels good sometimes. Maybe that's it. Because they do talk about that later. See, I, I'm, more, I'm, more, I'm more inclined to believe the second one just because of the expression the actor put on his face. Like, if, if... It's like, you get it now, right? If I was going to play a cannibalistic serial killer who was conflating that with the desire to protect their daughter, and I was watching my daughter bleed out, and I was also bleeding out and could do nothing about it, I think if I had to say the line C, I would play it more mournful. Because there is no worse feeling in the world than feeling like you cannot protect the people you love, especially when it's your child. So if he's like, see, like, obviously killing me felt good because I'm a bad guy, and now you get it. Like, you've caught the bug. Just like, if it's a bug, then Will caught it from killing Gary Jacob Hobbs. Which is a jerk move. Like, you're dying. Well, and it has messed Will up. Like, we see in the beginning of episode two, how you like that segue. Yeah. Um, I mean, I gotta draw attention to it now. Um, that, like, Will is practicing his shooting because, right, he used to be a cop. Um, and he hasn't been in the field for a long time. And he's practicing shooting and the little target paper man turns, he hallucinates that it's Garrett Jacob Hobbs. Yeah, I couldn't remember the man's name. I just remember the visceral terror of seeing him, and I put, I think my note for that moment was, shit, shit, holy shit, it's dead world's worst dad. And then also, this is something that I have noticed more in, actually, in season two, which we will get there, but I wanted to put it in your head now. Will mentions that he has a rotator cuff problem because he got stabbed when he was a cop. Yeah. So he has to use the weaver stance. Which yeah. I don't know what that is because I don't shoot guns. That's on my to-do list, is to learn how to actually handle a gun. But So Beverly Katz comes down and helps Will, like, she he flares out his elbow, so he's holding the gun in, I assume, his right hand, and he's supporting it with his left. That sounds right. And then she yeah, flares yeah. out his, his elbow to, like, give him better support, and it's just interesting to note that he's using both hands and is kind of turned to one side. Because he doesn't use that stance. He has a much more, like, comfortable, confident stance in certain circumstances. So I just wanted to put that in your ear so that you pay attention to it later. Plant that little seed. You're going to want it later. Also, so episode two is the mushroom guy. The malicious mycologist is the nickname I gave him. That is so good. And every time I watch it. I read Lemony Snicket as a child. I know. I was like, oh, that sounds like Lemony (laughs) Snicket. Every time I watch this episode, I'm caught off guard by the fact that the mushroom guy isn't Hannibal. Because that sounds like something Hannibal would do. You know, I didn't think of that, but you're totally right. Like, even now, like, even having watched it several times and knowing going into it that it's not Hannibal, I'm still always caught off guard by the fact that it's not him. So there's that. That's accurate. Also, the cavalier attitude of the crime scene trio, which is what I'm going to call them now, Katz, Price, and Zeller, when they're just, like, chilling looking at the mushrooms and she's like did you find any shiitakes and zeller's like no like <laughs> like they were gonna eat the mushrooms i because imagine like, you'd have to build that up well and if it's that's the only job. comic relief you get in this show is those three people yeah and i just love them so much and they are all so desensitized and i think it's so funny this whole pregnancy the child i am currently pregnant with my second child another girl and she 
heckin' hates mushrooms. Oh, I'm sorry. I can't eat mushrooms on pizza. I can't have gorgeous quartered tossed in butter and garlic baby portobellas and my making me salivate like my mouth just filled with saliva i probably couldn't even eat them in a beef and ale pie which i watched a recipe for today on america's test kitchen i love beef and ale pie and now i know what to do with bone the short rib comes into the discount meat bin at smith's but i probably couldn't even eat those like she just she won't let me eat mushrooms and i thought i was getting better from that and then we watched this episode and no no, I am not getting better. I will not be able to eat mushrooms until well, this baby is out of me. I mean, the mushrooms growing out of human corpses might have something to do with that. It was before that, though. Okay. Like, I was starting to come out of it thinking, maybe I can try mushrooms on a pizza the next time we get pizza. No. Not now. Okay, so, and here's another thing that I wanted to mention, just because it plays so much into everything going forward, is, like, they're talking about the case of the week, Hannibal and Will, but they're actually talking about each other. Almost every time anything happens in this show, it's a mirror of Hannibal and Will. Like, which is why I wanted to do this podcast, because I realized that, and I was like, I have to talk about this with somebody, because it's amazing. I wonder so, what finally teetered you over the edge. It was it was that. I was actually watching season two, and there was a conversation between um, this character and her brother, and I was like, oh, this one's Hannibal and this one's Will, and like that's, like, that's the mirror like just throughout the whole thing. I remember I had a note on that con- on that conversation and I said, "Good job, Brian Fuller. I am actually conflicted over my hatred of Hannibal Lecter for once." Good, it's going to get worse. What? No. Just warning you now. No. When I sit here with this shit-eating grin on my face. I don't want to feel conflicted over a cannibalistic serial killer and the person he's kind of grooming, Amber. Gosh, he's amazing. I don't want to pity this horrible man. Um, but he's lonely and has no friends. I came here to stan Alana, who I did not know was called Alana. We can continue to stan her. She's wonderful. And she only gets more wonderful. It's amazing. Oh, wonderful. Um, oh, but there's this conversation that they have in that moment where Hannibal says, the structure of a fungus mirrors that of the human brain, an intricate web of connections. And Will says, maybe he admires their ability to connect the way human minds can't. And Hannibal says, yours can. And then Will goes, lol. Not physically, not with reciprocity. And then Hannibal says, is that what your farmer is looking for? Some sort of connection. Except he's not talking about the farmer, he's talking about himself. I do remember picking up on that, I'm just like projecting he much, wants Dr. To connect. I know, right? Like, you should know about projection, you're a psychiatrist. Or psychologist. Mm-hmm. I actually don't remember which one he is. I know that Alana Bloom is a psychiatrist, because she says she's not a medical doctor, even though she is because she's a psychiatrist. No, legit, I was thinking of being a psychiatrist as a child, and then I learned that to be a psychiatrist, since you have to, like, know how the body works to prescribe people, you have to be like, a medical doctor. antipsychotics yeah. and stuff, you have to take gross human anatomy. Oh, man, I love human anatomy. That was the class, that was, that was the thing that turned me off being any kind of anything medical at all. Also, okay, wait, did you have anything else? I'm just, I don't want to, like, burn through, like, um, your talking points. Because right now we're still dealing speaking, with Mushroom Man. Speaking of Hannibal projecting, when he asked, well a surrogate daughter about Abigail and I rem- and what I wrote down was well from what I remember from Tumblr Hannibal you aren't one to talk about that <laughs> they no they are both definitely like her surrogate fathers which is why when I said like Abigail has two dads I wasn't even kidding <laughs> like or yeah. even exaggerating really like, like at least Will's a, a mostly good dad and oh. they both kind of become 
I like hate... her surrogate fathers because they're both responsible for her father's death. I hate so much that I feel like that my brain's like Hannibal wants to be a good dad. I'm like, no, he's a cannibalistic serial killer. He's a bad person. He wants to be a good dad in the way that he understands what being a good dad is. Fair um, point. That's... Which we'll see more with him and Abigail. Yeah. Honestly, the relationship is kind of adorable. The, the when the Marilyn teen was looking at the dead bodies when they found them. That's not marijuana. Like no. Like no shit, dude. Also, like... I bet it's marijuana. Maybe it's because I've watched a lot of Criminal Minds. How did the park rangers not discover this before? Like, I feel like that sort of thing I would... feel like you would have to walk right up on it. Like, not, like, up on, like, stairs, but, like, upon. Yeah. You'd have to get right up in its business to even notice that it was there. Fair point, but, like, I feel like a park ranger would have discovered that before 318. Like, I was never... A teenager desperate for marijuana. I'm not one for mind-altering substances myself, but I feel like a park ranger who it's like their job to comb the forest for stuff that does not belong might have discovered, you know... Like six human graves with mushrooms growing on them? And like, you know, someone hauling a body, because that didn't look like it was on the beaten path. So he would have had to either drive his car up there, which I'm pretty sure is illegal and would have left you know, evidence for park rangers to follow. Mm-hmm. Or, like, you know, carting a dead body. It's a miracle that man wasn't discovered unless he has somehow, like, memorized where the park rangers walk. Which, that wasn't covered. Maybe he did. Maybe you know. I'm nitpicking. Well, and the other thing about this show is that it was... It came out before this true crime wave. So I think it relies a lot more on suspension of disbelief than a crime show would today. Because now you have to assume that your audience knows a lot more about true crime than anybody did even ten years ago. Then there's crazies like me who have always been into it. Well, Mike, and I feel like I always was, but like I didn't have the words for it or like didn't have an outlet for it. And now I do, which is nice. Yeah. Beverly... I love her. She's so great. Going with your comment about their sense of humor, the fact that she suggested turning Will's bullets into a thing in Newton, uh, of the Newton, the clacking Newton balls. balls. Slinging things. Yeah. yeah. I, I like to call them Newton balls. Yeah, it's a Newton's cradle, but everyone just calls it those clacking, swinging ball things. Yeah. Um, and I love her friendship with Will because she's not scared of him. Yeah. Will, I think, is used to people being unsettled by him, and she's just not. Like, in the first episode, she goes like, oh, the FBI test detects un- instability. Are you unstable? And she's, like, smiling. She's like, that's cool. Like, she's not scared of him. And she's not treating him like a fragile teacup or like a mongoose. She's just like, cool, dude. Like, whatever. We're friends. You're unstable? Sick. Cool. She's one of my favorite, favorite characters. And then really quick before we move on to the Garrett Jacob Hobbs stuff from episode two, when Freddie Lowndes shows up and he makes her delete the recording and then he says, you've been very rude, Miss Lowndes. And then it cuts to the pork loin with the red, red sauce. Cumberland sauce. I actually looked up Cumberland sauce. He shouldn't have said Cumberland sauce of red fruits. All Cumberland sauce is it's red. made of red fruits. It's made- Maybe he was explaining it for Jack, who grew up on a diet of Spam and noodles. Um, but that pork, that pork dish, I remember I was so certain that he had killed Freddie Lowndes and was serving her to Jack. I was too. I totally was too. I was like, is that Freddie and in like, that Cumberland sauce? There is gorgeous food design throughout this show but that loin with the red red sauce Mm -hmm. is still like the most garish and over the top it's seared into my brain in this show and it's episode two it's seared it's all gorgeous but that is like the top tier of like yeah this guy's a cannibal and he eats humans 
Just in case you were getting too chummy with him. Oh, and speaking of his cannibal jokes, um, when he says to Jack that he would love to have him and his wife for dinner. Yeah. He says, I'd love to have you both for dinner. That's actually a callback. And that's just one of many that he makes. That's actually a callback to one of the cannibal jokes in, that he makes in Silence of the Lambs. Does he say something the same? He says similar? something very similar. He says, I'm having an old friend for dinner about someone who he hates. Oh, Hannibal says that a couple times in this too, actually. He says, it's always nice to have an old friend for dinner. Yeah, that, that's a that's a Silence of the Lambs callback. Um, that's a good one. And I was, I was, I was like, Freddie crossed a line and I was very disappointed in her when she was taking Will's therapy conversation. Mm-hmm. But I was so sad when I thought it was her because even though Freddie Lowndes is kind of an awful human being, she's also like compared to what? Like she's not a cannibal and she's not yeah. killing anybody. Well, like well, she's a tabloid journalist. Like more than that, like there are some things that I, as a former journalism major, I am kind of disgusted by some of the stuff she does because mm-hmm. it's like you're giving us all a bad name. You need to stop right okay, now. Okay, did you catch this? Price, the young crime scene guy, uh-huh. he's, he leans over to her and he says, you used me. After she is almost arrested by Jack, Oh, he's where she got the information. And I didn't notice that until this time I watched it. I didn't notice it either. I've never noticed that before. But like when she's playing that cop like a fiddle at the crime scene, like... he's She's just like buttering him up with all the butter like in the fridge all of it i have the power to do that the most i've ever used that power for is excuse me i can't see a step stool around here and my friend needs to get that terry brooks book from the chronicles of shannara off that very very high shelf and you're very tall and would you mind getting it for us is that how you met your husband no <laughs> i just figured out what to ask because he's very tall there are times when i see people who are who use their power for evil and like not good things and who kind of play with that ethical line. And Mm. I could never do that, but I admire them for being able to like, sometimes I admire ballsy people who do bad things and just cause they do it. And I say, I want to be like that. And people in my life who admire me and like me the way I am, I'm considered a fairly nice person by most people in my life, which is very flattering, but sometimes I just want to be a bad person like, sometimes I wish I could feel comfortable lying to people, but I, I don't I know. at all. And I will say that when I'm watching a show with my husband, I'll, look, I'll just be like, I want to be her. And he'll look over at me like, why? Because it's, it's not like you want to be a lying tabloid journalist. It's that you want to have the kind of balls that a Freddie Lowndes has. Yeah. Right? Like, it's not... Like, I don't want to be Hannibal in the sense that I want to be a cannibalistic serial killer. I want to be Hannibal in the sense that I am the smartest person and that also I eat very well and make all my own dinner. Probably I don't not cook with, for myself. Just probably not with you what's know. in his larder. No, but I just mean like in general, you know? Yeah. Or like, like have that kind of confidence. I'm hoping we get a nice big shot of his kitchen because I am fully oh, prepared. Oh, we do and I'm so excited. To just die over his stove. Like, I am so excited for you to see his kitchen. We actually spend a bit of time in his kitchen. Um, once we get to know him better, like, and his and Will's relationship develops, and they, the like, become friends. F- the first really good shot of his kitchen, you should watch that episode with me, because 
I have a feeling you're gonna want to see my reaction. Okay, we will see. Hopefully, we can as a kitchen design freak. Okay, so let's finish talking about yeah, yeah. the mushroom guy, and mushroom. then we'll talk about Garrett Jacob Hobbs because well, my he doesn't and... really have a big role in this episode specifically. Yeah. It's mostly about mushroom guy. Also, thing that I noticed that I thought was hilarious. The gal who gets discovered in Malicious Mycologist's trunk. The blonde girl? Her last name is Speck. Is Speck. Yeah. That's the German word for bacon, and it's a type of bacon. <laughs> That's funny. That's not in my trivia. I like that. Um, That's the thing you notice when you know different types of bacon from all over the world. I have no reason to know all these bacons. I just buy so? regular bacon. I have no reason to know why a parkway is called a parkway. Because a parkway is a road that goes to a place. So it's named after the place that it goes to. University Parkway goes between two universities. What? We're going to stay on topic here. Y'all can't see my face right now, but I... (laughs) (laughs) See, right? Like, you know about bacon. I know about street names, apparently. Yeah. Um, Also, thing that I forgot to mention with um, Hannibal's The Dinner We Thought Was Freddy. Yeah. Like, mushrooms mixed in with the green beans. When you're helping your friend with a murderous mycologist, Hannibal. Well, and the guy who's at your table for dinner. It's not It's not even just Will, it's Jack. Have you no shame? Have you no gag reflex? He probably did it on purpose to be like, hit mushrooms. <laughs> like, you can just, I can oh, just yeah. picture him like in his kitchen being like, hmm, green beans, here's some mushrooms. And he just like grabs them and like chops them in. I could just, like, picture his little face. And those are, like, nice mushrooms. I forget whether that particular variety is called oysters or chanterelles. I honestly can't even believe you noticed the mushrooms because all I can think about is the red Cumberland sauce. And I've never noticed anything else on the plate. I, I'm a food person. I like to know what sort of vegetable garnitures people like. I'm so glad to have you on this conversation. The, um, the vegetable garniture you pair with a particular dish says a lot about who you are and what you value in a dish. And if you're doing green beans, then you value the integrity of the main course. And if you put mushrooms with that, when you're serving the head of the FBI, when he's working on a murderous mycologist, I'm sorry again for language for anyone listening, you're a little shit. (laughs) Yeah, that's Hannibal in a nutshell. A little shit. Who cares about the integrity of the main course? Of course he does. Well, and like, given that they had like a professional food stylist for this show, I think we can go ahead and assume that every well and because it's a tv show and because it has been like printed cut and dried and sent off to you know the world yeah we can assume that everything that lands on the screen is a deliberate choice because that is my favorite lens through which to analyze tv is like the hey if they didn't want it to be like this they would have done it differently so we're going to talk about it as though it was deliberate because as far as we know it is keeping talking about pharmacist yes he is looking for connections, and he wants to connect Abigail Hobbs with Will Graham's, Will Graham's, <laughs> Graham's crackers, um, <laughs> and he's upset because he wants Will to understand him. After Will shoots him, and he's upset, he's like, "I thought you understood me." The, the journalist, she said, "You understood me," and Freddie Lowndes says that he's looking for someone who understands him, just like Will and Hannibal. It's the whole mirror thing. Ugh. How everything in the show is actually just about them. Okay. If we're done with the murderous mycologist, we can talk about Abigail Hobbs and her murderous dad. One thing that we have got to do, it should be noted that when we were watching episode two together and Will has the hallucination while he's in the hospital waiting for Abigail, 
there was a joke, and Amber and I had to make it because we are the biggest John Mulaney fans. We looked right at each other. There's a stag loose in a hospital. I'm the best stag. I have the best feathers and the best hooves. I'm a stag. <laughs> and that's all we gotta say about that. It's so great. Um, I had to. I had to bring that up. That was. It's just. I love it too much not so, to put it in. And on that segue, while we're in the hospital. Will wakes up and Abigail is reading Flannery O'Connor. She is reading um, A Good Man is Hard to Find. I have not read this. Have you read this? No. Flannery O'Connor's been on my list for so long. So you haven't read it and I haven't read it. But I found this fan essay called Found Families, Flannery O'Connor, Misfits and Good Men in Fuller's Hannibal by Augusta Lee. And she says, Alana Bloom chose, of all things, Flannery O'Connor's A Good Man is Hard to Find as appropriate reading material for Abigail Hobbs's bedside in Amuse-Bouche. For this cross-reference, it's not a matter of gauging how tastefully this story matches the circumstances. Tact is a lost language in Hannibal. But how eerily Accurate. the circumstances of Fuller's plot match O'Connor's story. It should be noted that there are no wholly good men in Fuller's cast, nor were there any in O'Connor's story, but there are a lot of lonely, desperate misfits coming together at an array of paces and intentions with at least one goal in common. Alana, Jack, Abigail, Abel Gideon, who we'll meet later, Hannibal, and Will are actively seeking one another, figuratively and truthfully. To one another, these misfits represent security and stability, or even friends and family. Or at least, they want them to. Is Abel Gideon the one who's played by Eddie Izzard? Yes. Okay. And I don't remember if Eddie Izzard has female pronouns now. I will look into that, and come back when they are actually in the episodes so we can make sure we handle that i was so happy when i found out that eddie izzard was in this i've i've been the most gigantic eddie izzard fan since i found out who he was that was the thing that almost pushed me into watching this show okay so when will wakes up in the hospital he's talking to alana about how jack thinks abigail is an accomplice and alana says innocent until guilty she doesn't say innocent until proven guilty she says, innocent until guilty. Which reminds me of the line from The Dark Knight, where you either die a hero, or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Oh, I like that. I feel like we don't even need to break that down. It kind of speaks for itself. Yeah. That line is so good. It gets used a lot, but it's so, it's such a succinct way to talk about any of the things. Like, you can apply it to J.K. Rowling and how everybody hates her now. You can apply it to Joe Biden and how nobody likes him anymore either. Oh like, gosh, what did he do now? I don't know. But, like, this line just applies to everything. It's so good. Shout out to Christopher Nolan for that. I don't have any notes about the Garrett Jacob Hobbs stuff. Do we go to his murder cabin in this episode? We do go to his murder cabin because I remember I was salty about it because this man who's possessive of his daughter, which I hate as a concept. This man has a freaking murder cabin. I would love a cabin. Not a murder cabin. Just a cabin. To... <laughs> like, why don't I have one? Why do you have one? You're this a murderer. Man, this man is a cannibalistic murder who's, murderer who's possessive of his daughter. I love my daughter. I let her have her own choices when they don't involve, you know, jumping off the couch pretending to be a superhero where she could get hurt, or drawing on the walls, or only eating yogurt for every single meal of the day. Shout out to Maggie Stiefwater. I feel like this would make more sense if I'd read The Raven Cycle yet. It would. Blue only ever eats yogurt, and it's like a running joke. Blue and my daughter have that in common. (laughs) But like, no, I deserve a cabin. Not this man who, like, 
has a murder cabin with too many dang antlers, at that point, just sell it to people who make stuff out of antlers. Don't keep them in your attic. Although, I will say, my, my judging of World's Worst Dead Dad aside, it made for a very cool, if viscerally terrifying shot. Oh, it's gorgeous. Of all the antlers. Mm-hmm. The shot where he told Freddy she was rude was the final nail in the coffin for my childhood dream of owning blue satin upholstered French provincial couches. Like, I wanted that, almost that exact couch when I was about nine years old. But, um... But now you don't, because Freddie may or may not have died on it, even though she didn't die. Like, there was that, but also it was just such a creepy shot, and the way they had it around all the and red... He comes and he, like, pats the couch, like, pat, pat, come sit like, down. N- like, I, I can't even have Chesterfield sofas, because the man I have chosen to love and live with for forever finds them un- deeply and terribly uncomfortable. I disagree personally. No, like, it, that's that was the final nail in the coffin because it's so creepy because of all the, the red around it. It's and red it, wallpaper, yeah. It, it almost, somehow with all of the red, including Freddie's hair and what she's wearing, it is the creepiest thing in the room. And, and I don't then, know if- of course, from that scene, you cut to the red Cumberland sauce. Yeah. So red is already in your head. And, like, we could do, like, a color analysis of this show, but obviously it's so on the nose we don't even have to. Red is You could do a whole podcast on that. Um, You could do a whole podcast on color analysis in the show, and I make a lot of comments about color in my notes, and I'm not even going through them all because we would be here for, like... Ever. For frickin' ever. Also, just, like, I will probably bring this up later with other people, but when he's talking to Freddy... When she comes in after she's recorded Will, this is the line that I talk about Mads Mickelson dancing a lot. The line of like, do you want to eat this person or have carnal relations with them? Like, what is your game? Yeah. What kind of feast do you wish to have involving this person you are talking to, Mads Mickelson? You're making this very sexual and I don't know how I feel about it. That also gets worse. Like, honestly... The whole theme of this show could be, you're going to be uncomfortable, but you're going to be happy about it. You're going to (laughs) suffer, but you're going to be happy about it. Last thing with episode two is we see Hannibal starting to introduce to Will the concept that killing someone can feel good if you do it for the right reasons. Whatever those reasons are, how you justify it in your head, is up to you. And Hannibal also mentions for the first time church roofs collapsing, mm-hmm. which he mentions a couple of times. Oh, okay. Um, he says later that he collects church collapses. Like, that's a thing he's interested in, is churches collapsing. Um, he says, God's terrific. He dropped a church. Roof. Oh, I'm gonna start that over. Hannibal says, God's terrific. He dropped a church roof on 34 of his worshippers last Wednesday night in Texas while they sang a hymn. And he says it made God feel powerful. And I wonder if, if that's the mirror for Hannibal right now, is that he is playing God, playing puppet master, pulling all these strings with Cassie Boyle and with Jack and with Will and Abigail. I'm willing to believe that, but I was raised with certain beliefs and I have my own ideas about religion, faith, the divine, what have you. And that line made made me not only viscerally uncomfortable, but viscerally angry. Like, no, excuse you, sir. You don't get to put your words in his mouth. And I think, I mean, I can see that. But also, like, having a different perspective. We don't actually hear much about Hannibal's beliefs himself. I'm going to assume he's atheist because he couldn't do the things that he does otherwise. I feel like it'd be very difficult to carry a belief in God and a belief 
in that it's killing okay. people and eating them is okay. Yeah, yeah. Like But I think that like he sees because he sees his killings as just in his own brain way, whatever he thinks of these people, killing them is okay. He doesn't kill people he likes. He doesn't kill people if he thinks they're smart. He kills He like, kills people whom he considers beneath him. I as liter- animals, basically. I literally saw a piece of fan art for this show that was captioned Eat the Rude. Yeah. Like that was one of the slogans, actually. Like one of the taglines. And this was right after hashtags became like well known because I think that was probably with the London twenty twelve Olympics. Was when people started to understand how hashtags work on Twitter. Uh, but Eat the Root was one of the oh. hashtags for this show. I think Hannibal sees these church collapses as God killing his worshippers as almost justification for what he does. He has a line later, too, where he says, Killing must feel good to God, too. He does it all the time. Yeah, that one got me upset as well. Which, knowing that he collects church collapses makes that make a little more sense. That's like his thing. At the time, I just remember being very deeply upset at that lo- at those lines but you know <laughs> this show you're gonna suffer but you're gonna be happy about it yeah um and that's kind of where episode two leaves off is just Hannibal saying that God feels powerful and then we kind of linger on his face for a while yeah to which I wrote dang mess with his soulful brown eyes hot dang no wonder half of Tumblr fell for you right around when I got married the thirst for this man see the first thing I saw him as was Le Chief in Casino uh, Royale so for me it was weird like why is everyone falling in love with Le Chief as Hannibal? And then I saw it, like... And then you, you get oh, it. Oh, okay, yeah. I kind of get it now. I kind of yeah, get see, it See, this was my first Matt Mickelson Matt show. So then I saw Casino Royale because he's in it. Because I already had my Bond villain crush in Skyfall, which, whole other can of worms that we don't have to get into. Okay, episode three, which is um, Abigail Hobbs-centric episode. Yeah. So it's not like a monster of the week. So it starts out with Garrett Jacob Hobbs and Abigail, like a flashback to them hunting in the woods, hunting a deer, and then while they are cleaning it and preparing it, it turns into a human person. And then Abigail wakes up. And it was a terrible nightmare because, like, this girl hasn't suffered enough, poor thing. Um, and then it introduces us to the concept of eating someone to honor them versus eating I wrote, I wrote eating as honor versus eating as condescension and Gary Jacob Hobbs teaches Abigail how they will honor every part of the deer so no part goes to waste they use the hide they use the meat they use the bones and they do all this to honor her because otherwise it's just murder which is a stark contrast to Hannibal who literally took Cassie Boyle's lungs and left the rest of her body in a field yeah Right, like Garrett Jacob Hobbs, they establish in episode one that he loves these girls. Or he loves one of them, and the rest of them are stand-ins for her. Yeah. Versus a cannibal like Hannibal, which I try not to say those two words that close together, because <laughs> they rhyme and it's hilarious, who literally just sees people as prey, as pigs, as meat, animals. Yeah. For some reason, I don't know why. Well, I know what part of this. I know why just... The thought of when he's putting when he's putting her hands on the deer and teaching her how to carve it, especially given that it turns into a shot of her putting her fingers through a dead girl's hair, it just it felt like he was grooming her even before it turned into like a human woman's hair. Like right. just I don't know if it was the way he put her hands on it. I don't know if it was the way that the actress ran her hand through the deer fur, 
but just it 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 skeeved me out in all like just it felt like he was grooming her mm-hmm. which is interesting because it plays on the whole question of you know how involved was she in all this which well, and like was he interested like was there a sexual component to it or not because there wasn't in any of the murders yeah and and will yells that at jack in the bathroom from the shining scene yeah where because Jack is like, what do you mean he loves them? There was no semen, no bite marks, no, like, hickeys. What you, and, and Will says that's not how he's loving them. He wouldn't disrespect them that way. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know if it's that Hobbes has, like, a pedophile element, you know, for the daughter. Or if it's just that he needs to keep her with him and she's going away to college. So if he could kill her, then she, leave, won't, she won't leave. Yeah. And, like... That was but one it part does kind of come across really sexual. Yeah, and another part of it that skewed me out, I don't know how many people have seen Game of Thrones or even want to even hear about Game of Thrones anymore, but... I mean, it's part of the cultural zeitgeist. We might as well talk about it. There is a scene. It's Charles Dance's first scene where we actually see him as Tywin Lannister, and he is cleaning a deer himself in his tent. I think it was a deer, but it could have been a boar. Well, um... And he's like, we'll say it's a deer because that's more fun. And he's peeling the skin back and he's getting in there and he's just able to be really casual about that. And I remember watching it for the first time just like, oh my goodness, this man is, this man is able to be very casual about death. And I, like, I find that very skeevy. Just for some reason it reminded me because it was very similar and also very different. Like you're too comfortable with You're, you're way too comfortable with dissecting an animal. I, whenever someone gets to be... Like, there's a way that the the crime scene investigation trio are jokey about death, but it feels mm-hmm. like it's almost to protect themselves. But when it's Tywin Lannister cleaning the deer, and when it's Garrett Jacob Hobbs grooming his daughter to clean the deer, there's something about it that, for me, is too comfortable and too casual. The deer and or his human victims, because we still don't know whether or not she was an accomplice to her father's crimes. Because Jack is certain that she was... Will is certain that she yeah. wasn't, but I also don't know how much of that is Will protecting himself, because he had to go into that dark place yeah. to catch Garrett Jacob Hobbs, and he doesn't want to think about the possibility that the person he saved, this young girl, she's like 18, she's applying to go to college, if she was also part of it. Yeah. And like, I have mostly been on Will's side throughout this whole thing. And this episode ended up confirming for me that, yes, I do not think she knew what was going on. And, like, maybe it's me seeing what I want to see, but there's a big thing that happens where she freaks out. When she freaks out over the human hair in the pillow. Mm -hmm. That, to me, says, was not involved, was not aware. That's a really good point, because there was nobody else in the room when she did that. Mm Mm-hmm. Because... In all honesty, I don't remember <laughs> if she was an accomplice to her father's crimes or not. Um, and I'm kind of in the camp that she was, just because um, Alana mentions that she has a penchant for manipulation and that she will show you what she wants you to see. She says that when she went to visit Abigail in the hospital, Abigail demonstrated just enough emotions to prove that she had them. That she wasn't, like, apathetic or catatonic or whatever. Yeah. And and stuff like that. So, I think it could go either way. See, I got what Alana was saying there, but for me, 
that's like a trauma thing. Mm-hmm. Cause like I see, but I think you could tie back the hair finding in the pillow panicking also to the trauma. You know, like maybe she managed to f- to like put it out of her mind, and then she's like faced with this stark realization that no, this definitely did happen, and you had a hand in it. See, I can see that, but that wasn't how I interpreted it at the time. And mm. that might just be how I, as a former theater kid, interpret this actress's performance mm. of Abigail. For well, me... It makes me wonder how much she knew at this point in the shooting. You know, maybe at this point the actress doesn't even know. Maybe. See, for me... And I don't remember, so... I just... It was the way she was taking apart the pillow. Almost as if she had... She suddenly started to remember her dad's words like, oh. and thinking, oh gosh, no. Oh, please, no. Please tell right? me. She's I have hugging to the know. pillow and then she looks at it and you can see the wheels turning in her head because the pillow is clearly handmade from the deer hide, which is cool because it's a deer, not a human. Like, I can tell you how I would write the novelization of that just in italics over and over. Every part of her. Every part of her. Every part. Right, it's like the Every all work and part. no play makes Jack a dull boy just over and over and over again. Like, I can I can see that. Like, you can almost, like, hear her going, like, oh, please. Please, oh, no. no. I have to know, but please, no. And she no. rips the pillow open and she pulls out all the hair. Um, okay, but that's kind of at the end of the episode and yeah. we should... We've jumped ahead. My apologies. Go back because so much yeah. happens in this episode. This episode is a lot, fam. Be ready. Because Freddie Lowndes is there and she's like, I want to publish your book, Abigail. And Abigail's like, yay, a friend. And everyone else is like, oh my gosh. She's not your friend. She's not your friend. She's just like a glory hound. Also, but- this is one of the first episodes where we see Alana in an outfit that does not have red or black in it. But is it still a wrap dress? And or wrap blouse. That I'm I can't, certain it is because that's all she wears. That was the big thing I picked. I don't. I'm not certain. That was the big thing I picked up on. Was interesting though. Was the this is the first episode, and it's where we see her talking to Will, just the two of them, at and, his house, and Will's you know enormous flock of dogs. Yeah, when he's out his, out in his yard in his underwear, and he's like, I should put on clothes, and she's like, I have brothers, it's fine, and he's like. Yeah, I'm still gonna because his little undershorts are so small. I almost like he doesn't sh- wear tidy whities but he might as well be wearing tidy whities I almost want to ship it because she actually gives it's a crap so about cute. him. And it's like it's the first time we see her. So for me, and it was, and like, there's a lot of color interpretations you could put on this, but here is my short list. Blue is typically used in early Catholic art to clothe the Virgin Mary in depictions mm-hmm. of her because it's seen as a color associated with the divine. Specifically lapis lazuli because it was made from literal stone. Oh. I have a lapis lapis lazuli stone. It's on my nightstand at my house. It's so pretty. I remember that stone. But also there's the whole true blue thing so it's almost like I almost feel like she can be more genuine. Like my like maybe she's more genuine when it's just the two of them. It may be me wanting to read something in because I think she's one of the few people in the show We're who actually cares to read about him as much as we want. Yeah. Well, like, and she always wears kind of stark colors. There has not been up until this blue outfit when she's at his house an outfit that does not have red or black or both. Typically both. My favorite of which comes in episode two where she's wearing that gorgeous scarlet pencil skirt with the black and white wrap blouse. She just has the best clothes. And then Will is always in, like, worn-in, like, 
plaid and denim and khaki. Like, he's, he's like a woodsman type of dude. Like, if Jesse right. wasn't so tall, he and I could cosplay as Alana Bloom and Will Graham. I mean, you might as well still do it. Don't let Hyde stop you. Um, and then you have Hannibal, who's in, like, oh, we should save this for our fashion week. Segment. Oh, yeah. That's what we can do with that segment, is talk about symbolism of clothes and colors. Yes. Yay, a plan. Okay. So, she comes to tell him that Abigail woke up at his house. Yeah. Um, and then they go talk to her, and they're talking about... I don't have any of this in order, so we'll just have to deal with it. So, a thing that I noticed... Alana, Abigail's book that she's reading in her bed when Alana comes to visit her yeah. has a peacock feather on it. Because it's Flannery O'Connor. Yeah. Because she raised peacocks, which are really dumb, as we learn in this episode. And I just, I love that Alana bought Abigail clothes. I know, so cute. Like, it's and the sweetest says, gesture, and also I She has that Abigail line to... about, like, I'm really bad at redeeming gift cards, so you can just use all my gift cards. And Abigail's like, that probably says something about you. Yeah. That was funny that a psychiatrist gets that line pulled on them, but, like, no, like, I, I want Alana Bloom to buy me clothes. So then we see Will um, teaching his FBI class. He's talking about how whoever killed Cassie Boyle was not Garrett Jacob Hobbs, right? Yeah. Whoever killed Cassie Boyle staged the murder in such a way that it was the exact opposite of everything Garrett Jacob Hobbs had did. Garrett Jacob Hobbs was honoring these girls. Cassie Boyle's murderer was not. And then Hannibal walks in. He's walking. Right as Will is saying that the murderer took Garrett Jacob Hobbs' work and elevated it to art. And that's when Hannibal walks in the door. He's standing in my spot. He's wearing my clothes. His name is Hannibal. His name is Dr. Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> How do you spot the murderer? Like, that's what like, it reminded me yeah. of. It reminded me of the flashback. He's sitting in my from... chair. He's wearing my clothes. His, His name, name is Remus Lupin. Lupin. <laughs> um, also, shout out to McKenna if you're listening to this. That was for you. My note about that was like, holy cow. Matt, Mads Mikkelsen again, at it again. Well, and that's where you can like really see like how subtle his face is. His smiles are so small. They're and teeny yet, tiny. just looking at, at Will, the way he looked like... You are making this more sexual than it needs to be. Or is he? Or does it... Is there such a thing as more sexual than it needs to be? I mean, kind of. Um, All those students are right there. I mean, well, that's true. But Hannibal's like creepy shadow man in the hallway. Um, But the other thing is that... Like, Hannibal knows Will is smarter than everybody else. Except possibly himself. And he definitely admires that. But now he's seeing this... And even though Will, they don't know that we know, they know we know, they know. That's what yeah. they said. Hannibal knows that Will doesn't know that it was Hannibal who did the thing. But Hannibal feels seen. He's like, oh, somebody gets me. Yeah. Like, right? He wants a friend. And he's like, this person could be my friend because he gets me. Even though he doesn't know that it's me he's getting, I know that, he's, <laughs> that he gets me. So there's that. Yeah. Um, and then they go talk to Ab- to Abigail at the hospital, and Abigail asks Will, killing somebody, even if you have to do it, it feels that bad? But we don't cut to Will to see his reaction to that line. We cut to Hannibal, and that's I think that's true. really interesting. Because, like, either, either it's meant to say that Hannibal doesn't feel bad for killing people, which we know. Yeah. Or... It's meant to say that Hannibal doesn't believe that Abigail feels bad about killing people either. 
See, I Which took... goes back to my camp of Abigail being in league with her father. See, I actually took that shot very differently. I took the fact that it cuts to Hannibal because I kind of took it as, you know, we're watching Hannibal watch how this plays out. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I don't think... There are people who say they can turn off what they do for their work when they're not actually at their work. I don't think he's one of those people. I don't think those people exist. I think that you can turn it down so low that only, like, cats, dogs, and pregnant people can pick up on it. But you can't ever really turn it off. Right, like, Hannibal is always going to be... The gears are always turning. The predator that he is. And and he's always going to be... Trying to stay one step ahead all the time. And he's always going to be psychoanalyzing people. So he's going to be watching Abigail. He's going to be watching... Will, who he wants as a friend or possibly more, depending on if you ship it. A friend or a lover or I know people do. Murder companion. Yeah. And like... Or a snake under the house when the mongoose... Whatever, the mongoose under the house when the snake goes by. Like, he's gonna be watching. Mm. And that's what I took it as. But then again, you are in the Alana was in a complex... It's probably both, honestly. Yeah. But then again, I'm not in the Abigail was an accomplice camp like you are. And that's okay. I'm also just being reminded that I have a different definition of shipping because I was born in the early fandom days. Yeah. Where you shipped something that wasn't canon. If it was canon, then it was canon. And if it wasn't canon, then you had to do the shipping yourself. So to me, which like, and this has changed in like fandom discourse Mm -hmm. over the last like 15 years. Um, Your ship can be canon now. Mm-hmm. And, and I it's didn't... still called shipping, because that's the ship that you're rooting for. But, like, back when it was, it was the Harry Hermione and Hermione Ron ship wars. Before we knew where anything was headed. And neither of it was canon, so everybody was just shipping. And, like, once it became canon, for some reason that term didn't apply anymore. That's interesting. Yeah. I was not... So I forget that, like, shipping just means that, like, you root for that relationship, not that, like, whether it's canon or not. Yeah. And, like, me, personally, I came into fandom around 2000... Uh... Shoot. When was I? When was I here? 11, 12, when I got into Doctor Who, and then when the Avengers came out. That would be early 12. Yeah. 11, early 12. That was like peak fandom. Because that was Avengers, Sherlock, Doctor Who. People weren't super disillusioned with Moftis yet. So, see, I'm still pretty okay with them, but I haven't seen season four yet. Don't. It's bad. Okay. Anyway. So then. Will and Hannibal go outside the hospital and they bump into Freddie Lowndes, who is still hanging about, as she does. Leaning on one of the prettiest dang Bentleys I have ever seen. I legitimately did not even notice the car, which is weird. I'm usually a car person. So the Bentley was the first car actually stated in the books to be owned by James Bond. The Bentley is his personal car. The Aston Martin is the work car. The work car? Gotcha. Interesting. And there's more Bentleys in the books than I Aston Martin. I have Martins. a hard time taking Bentleys seriously because the B is like in this weird bubble font. I like the I bubble like, font. I'm like, this does not match in any way what the rest of your car aesthetic is. See, I like I it. I can't do it. I think it's a nice I contrast. I also have 
second cousins. I don't know. My cousin has two babies, and their names are Bentley and Ashton. So there's that. <laughs> They're adorable, but all I think about when I see them is cars. Um, okay, and this is when Will Graham has his line to Freddie Lowndes, where he says, Miss Lowndes, it's not very smart to piss off a guy who thinks about killing people for a living. And my note is, Will has put his foot in it now. Jack is upset that Hannibal let Will say it, but if Hannibal can destabilize Will in the public eye, it will keep Hannibal protected while keeping Hannibal's friends close and enemies closer. See, the only thing I put out put about that whole thing is the scene in Jack's office with Alana feels like a dad taking his two kids to task for not protecting their baby brother. They're like, you let him say this thing? Like, you said he was stable, and now he's causing all these problems. Which... I mean, obviously Hannibal is playing to unstabilize Will. Destabilize. That's a word that exists. Um, but I also am with Beverly Katz in that I wonder how stable Will was to begin with. Like, if he took the FBI tests and didn't pass the screening because he was too unstable, was he ever really stable to begin with? Like, how much worse is Hannibal making it versus, like, exacerbating an existing problem? At the very least, like, the boy needs a break. Yeah. The problem is his brain won't let him take a break. Exactly. Which, there's no forts in the bone arena of his skull for things he loves. Like, as a fairly anxious person, I do, like, obviously, I don't have all of Will's problems. I am not on the autism spectrum. I, you know. But, like, you can empathize. The boy is a mess. I can empathize with that, and I can empathize with that paralyzing feeling of anxiety where your brain will not turn off. Yeah. Um, so they all go up to Minnesota, right? They take Abigail back up to her parents' house, and Abigail's house has been graffitied and it says cannibals. Which is accurate to one person in that scene, but, you know... Well, he's the one that made the headlines. But, like... Although, to be fair... Oh, I was talking about Hannibal. Oh, no, Gary Jacob Hobbs. Yeah. And he was feeding them to the family. Yeah. So technically they all were cannibals. They just didn't know about it. Abigail deserves better than that, though, you monsters. Like, real talk, I shouldn't have to tell any of you this, but after this episode happened, I'm going to say it anyway. If your neighbor turns out to be a serial killer, don't bully his family. If he had a family. Some serial killers are creepy loners. But, like, if, yeah. if, your, if your neighbor was a serial killer and also had a family... Don't bully the family. They have enough to deal with. They are suffering enough. They are reeling. So then they're sitting in there talking about the crime scene. Mm-hmm. And Abigail looks at... Um, Wait, no, rewind a little bit. Will says, it was a blocked call. Did you recognize his voice? And Abigail says, I'd never heard it before. And her eyes flick to Hannibal. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, girl, do you know? Which I'm... Glad, honestly, that they brought that in because he does have a very recognizable voice. And even if she'd never heard it before, she's heard it since. Yeah. He's standing right there. And it's not feasible. Like, you can suspend your disbelief a little bit to whether or not the mycologist drove his dead bodies into the forest. But, like, to say that somebody wouldn't recognize Hannibal's voice. It's highly unlikely. I when live, you hear it again for the second time. I live among the sort of people who might not. I, you know. Right, like, maybe not everybody would, but also we know that Abigail's really intelligent. Yeah. 
Um, and she does. She looks at him like the tiniest little glance, and then it cuts to Hannibal, and he does his smile where he doesn't actually change his face, but he kind of lowers his chin a little bit. Yeah. Like that's his. He doesn't smile with his mouth, but he kind of goes. Hmm? Um. His. It's like it's like a dog's ears perking up when they know you've got peanut butter. Right. Like they don't change their expression, but he he's paying more attention to you now. Um. And then she's like, "Are we going to reenact the crime?" So she's like, Will, you be my dad. Alana, you be my mom. And Hannibal, you be the man on the phone. And she stares at him and she doesn't blink. And then it cuts to him and he looks at her and he knows that she knows it was him. And he doesn't know what to do with that information because he doesn't know what she's going to do with that information. He looks like for the first time a little bit confused. And like a little bit. She is. She's like, you be the man on the phone. And she's staring at him. There's a crazy element in her eyes, which at first I attributed to the fact that, like, this whole time they've been in her house, she is just dissociating hard from the whole situation. Like, she's trying too hard to stay calm. Either she is, or she's performing it. Yeah, which I know... I'm just going to keep sticking that in there, just in case. That's fine, that's (laughs) fine. Depending on which camp you're in, either she's performing, or I interpret it as dissociating, because, like... Which... She's literally at the scene where her father tried to murder her. Yeah, at that Duh. Point, at that point, I'm gonna be trying so hard to keep it together that either I'm going to turn into a spluttering, blithering mess around these three very professional, very well dressed people from the FBI, which would just be embarrassing, or I am going to just have to completely turn off so much. And just try to be uber calm and mm-hmm. come across as maybe a little... Which, that's what I got it as. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if this is still both, like, when she discovers the hair in the pillow. Like, it, like if she's at the same time trying to hide that she was involved and also, like, realizing the magnitude of what happened. You know? Yeah. So, Hannibal knows... That Abigail knows it was him. Yeah. And then Marissa Shore walks in, which is weird. Don't walk into people's houses. Um, and they go walk Says around the Says the woman back. who walks into my house and has an hey, open invitation. I asked first. <laughs> okay. So then they go around to the back of the house, Marissa and Abigail, and Nicholas Boyle comes out, starts yelling at them. You killed my sister. You took out her lungs while she was still breathing. And then Marissa throws a rock at him and hits him in the head and then he runs away. Like, honestly, I... Gosh, I hate being that person, but I do almost blame Freddy for this one. It was like when they were, when, because there was a scene where Freddy was telling Nicholas Boyle, she's like feeding him, like almost as if to see what he'll do so she can get juicy stuff out of it. Oh, I bet that's totally what she was doing. (sighs) And, yeah. It's kind of gross. My literal footnote for that was, oh no, Freddy, what are you doing? Spelled W-A-T, the letter R, the letter U. As though it's, like, the 2009 internet. I always say it like, water. Like a drink of water. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Freddy, stop! Freddy, what are you doing? <laughs> um, okay. So, Nicholas Boyle comes back and he's yelling at Abigail. And right now, everyone thinks that Gary Jacob... Everyone except for Will, Jack, and Hannibal think that Gary Jacob Hobbs killed Cassie Boyle. Because only Will put together that it wasn't. Hannibal knows it wasn't because it was him. And then Jack believes Will. So. Yeah. So at least they know that that wasn't him. 
But then the next morning, they go to the murder cabin, and who's been murdered upstairs and is hanging in the antlers? Marissa Short, because she called her mom a bitch, and Hannibal thought that was rude. So then he killed her. I kind of wondered why that happened, but then so much other stuff happened that I forgot about it. But no, like... But then all that does is cement in Jack's mind that it was Abigail because he's like, oh, you bring her back to Minnesota and now another girl is killed. See, for me, I I thought at first that it was Sad Brother Man who killed Marissa. Well, and that's what you're supposed to think because Hannibal hid the rock that Marissa threw at him. He saw it on the ground and covered it with leaves with his foot. Mm-hmm. He kills her. He goes back and gets the rock, takes the skin scrapings off the rock and puts them on her teeth. Which is because creepy. when so that if he punched her, he would leave skin on her teeth. That's why he does that. I wondered at first, but because then they made they match that yeah to his skin from when Abigail scratches him when he attacks her in the house. Which that was clever and foresighty as heck, but kind of scary. Like people who are that good at thinking that many steps ahead terrify me, because like yeah. I cannot play chess. Jesse loves chess. But, like, when I've tried to play chess with literally anyone, I can think of all the moves that a person could make, but I don't know. But you can't think ahead of that. And it's like, but what are they most likely to make? What are they going to make? I have to make a decision. Mm-hmm. Ah! Yeah, Hannibal is really, really good at that. Yeah. Like, because he, he was like, oh, well, that girl is rude. And also, he's just kind of having fun doing his thing. Um, but she calls her mom a bitch, and then it cuts to him. And he kind of goes like... He tilts his head a little bit. But not in, like, the smiley way. In kind of like the, that was rude, kind of a way. He has different head tilts based on his Yeah. Mood. Which, I don't... Like, and that's honestly... See, for me, it's interesting, because I would think the ruder thing would be, like, not letting your daughter support her friend in her time of need... But then again, but that's also, assuming like, a, that you're... Would you want your daughter to go hang out with a person who may or may not be a serial murder cannibal? Like, no. No, but I don't know. I feel like I would have a hard time believing that any of my daughter's friends would be a serial murder cannibal, but, like, then again, my daughter's friends are in the two to four age range. Yeah. So, maybe I'm just not there yet. Well, and like, and all the mom does is say, hey, come home now. And then Marissa's like, can you stop being such a bitch? And everyone's kind of like, huh? See, I actually, I actually kind of sided with Marissa there. And I will tell you, not that I would ever call my mother that. No, no. I, <laughs> my mom is the kind of person who does not like discussing how she feels with people outside of her family. And that's fine, you know. So if she's going to talk about stuff, she's going to say, come home now. She's going to say, come home now. You know why I don't want you here. I really don't want to talk about well, this. Well, I had a really strict curfew when I was in high school, when I was these girls' age, you know. Um, and I hated it. But at the same time, like, I think it's just the fact that she did it in front of people. And Hannibal's like, that's really impolite. And then also he just, he wants to cause problems. So yeah. he's going to kill somebody else who fits the profile. Oh, look, here's a girl who fits the profile. She's rude to her mom. Now she's dead. That's enough for me. Pretty much. 
Um, I also don't know if he kept any souvenirs or ate any part of her. He might have just killed her for the show of it, which is interesting. Well, um, he's also trying to make it look like Sad Brother Man did it. That's true. Because the first one looked like Garrett Jacob Hobbs might have done it. And then Will, of course, he knows that the person who did the one thing did the other thing. Um, and then, so then later that night, we're back at the house. Abigail notices that her dad made pillows and stuffed them with human hair. Which also wouldn't make a very comfortable pillow. Like, long wads of, like, tresses of hair would not make a comfortable pillow. And plus, I feel like you could feel... Well, I mean, I guess it's different in deer hide, but, like, you can feel... If it were, like, in a cotton pillowcase, you could feel it. But if it's, like, in a leather thing, maybe not. And, like, ugh. Ugh. Um, And then Nicholas Boyle shows up, and he's like, I just want to talk to you. And then he starts chasing her through the house. If you just want to talk to someone, ring the doorbell. Like right. a normal well, Freddie Lowndes was there, and she's like, I'm not the only person who's poking around the property. Like, she tells them that. She's like, I'm not the only person who's here. And nobody does anything about that? Which, I mean, I guess... Freddie has kind of shot Would her you believe her? Yeah, exactly. Um, but then there he is, and then Abigail still has the knife that she had used to rip open the pillow. So then she stabs him. And yeah. slices down. And that's when Hannibal comes in and he's like, they're gonna see this and they are not gonna believe this was an accident. Because that was an expert kill. You've clearly killed things before. And she's like, yeah, I hunted deer with my dad. And he's like, yeah, I'm sure they'll believe you. Which, that felt really gaslighty. Like, I get the sense in what he's saying, but also like... But it's like, like the most overt that he gets. Like, he, he does get really overt with his like... With his gaslighting. Like, with Abigail. He re- like, that was really gaslighting. And that, that, ugh, that's the most mad I've, some of the most mad I've been at him in this whole series. Like, don't gaslight this poor girl. She was defending herself. Well, but if they can catch him and they can prove that either he didn't kill Marissa Shore or something. So it's in Hannibal's best interest in this case for Nicholas Boyle to either be dead or disappeared. And now he's both of those things. They hide his body. And as far as the FBI knows, he went on the run. No one knows what happened to him. Which poor parents of Cassie and Nicholas Boyle. I know. We never even see them. Like, I never know what happens to them. But you gotta know that they're poor like, mom. You just, just had two kids murdered in the span of like three weeks. And one of those kids, whether you know it whether you know he's dead or not, is a murder suspect. Yeah. Like, ugh. Okay, and then after all of that, sometime later, Abigail sneaks out of the hospital and goes to visit Hannibal. So everybody's back in Maryland slash Virginia now. Mm-hmm. Um, Hannibal's office is in Baltimore, and so is the hospital where Abigail is staying. So she sneaks out and goes to visit Hannibal at his office. And she tells him that she knows it was him on the phone. Yeah. Because they think who called the house is a serial killer, just like my dad. And Abigail lied. Or, Oh my gosh, I did it again. Abigail. (laughs) Hannibal lies and says he's not. He's like, that's not why I called him, and I'm sorry that me calling him set him off and made him kill you. When in actuality, that was exactly what he was hoping would happen. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, he knows, she knows that it was him. And I, in my notes, I said they keep each other's secrets, but I don't remember what secret Aunt Abigail, oh, that she killed Nicholas Boyle. Yeah. Right. So he's like, I won't tell them that you did that if you don't tell them that I was the man on the phone. Basically. is the bargain they've just struck. Yeah. And as um, I wrote, that's going to come back and haunt us all. I know. And Abigail accuses him of being a serial killer like my dad. And he says, Abigail, I'm nothing like your father. The double meanings in this show are just slapping me across the face every because five he seconds. Thinks, well, he thinks he's better than him. You know? Mm-hmm. He's, he sees Garrett Jacob Hobbs as a common murderer, even though Garrett Jacob Hobbs was trying to honor his victims. Whereas Hannibal sees his victims as literal animals. Yeah. So he, he Like, he thinks he's above common murder. Yeah. That's all I have. Same. So, let's scooch on down to uh, trivia things. Which maybe we'll sprinkle these in in the future. Yeah. Um, so, I pulled these all from IMDb. Um... So, in the first episode, when Hannibal is preparing Cassie Boyle's lungs, um, they used mortadella sausage. Which is vile looking. It's a very pink Italian sausage. Um, that's what they used it has for pistachios, that. I think currants, and like a lot of spices in I it. I legitimately thought you were going to be like, speaking of which, I have some. No, I, I, I looked it up. and But then I was like, where would you find that in Utah Valley? Maybe actually, no, you can get you can get American produced mortadellas in America, and I have seen it. I just remember yeah. thinking that is the most disgusting nineteen fifties sandwich loaf looking it nasty. Right. It is it is very much like bologna, but it's got more bits in, which I think gives it the texture you need to look like lungs. Well, bologna is actually an American copycat Version product of, of mortadella. Yeah. And it's called that because mortadella is primarily made in the Bologna region. Which I also think is really funny that we pronounce it bologna when we know how to at least pronounce lasagna semi-correctly, so shouldn't it be bologna? I don't know. Because it's spelled the same way? Any of y'all know any you know linguistics how to, behind how to pronounce this? bologna? Okay, trivia thing two. Everyone talks about how all the murdered girls look exactly like Abigail, and they always mention eye color, but all the girls who got murdered had brown eyes. And Abigail has blue eyes. So that's just like a continuity That is interesting. Um, the mushroom hands, how all the hands in the mushroom garden are sticking out so they can get their IVs of sugar water. Uh-huh. They're the same shape as the logo from the Living Dead Guy production company. Aww. Um, Abigail Hobbs was also the name of one of the women killed during the Salem Witch Trials. And then Alden Stamets, the murderous mycologist is named for Paul Stamets, an American mycologist, author, and advocate of bioremediation and medicinal fungi. Really? Mm-hmm. So, so they, they did... named him after an actual so mycologist. Very much on purpose. Yep. Um. Have I ever told you that I'm actually descended from one of the judges at the Salem Witch Trials? I want to say no, you haven't told me that, but I'm also not shocked to hear it, which makes me think that you probably did tell me that. Okay. So your favorite moment, if you have one, slash can't remember. It's so hard to tell. I just... I love that Alana just tries... I feel like she might be the sanest person in this show and the most 
ethical person in this show, but I'm also, and hating myself for it, I'm also loving the food shots so far because I'm a foodie. Well, they are gorgeous. Like, they're they're supposed to be gorgeous. <laughs> like, that, that's the point. Yeah. So. Um, for me, it's the moment when Hannibal walks into Will's classroom and sees Cassie Boyle on the stag head on the big projector screen and he gets all happy. That moment is well written. It is well shot. I love it. I mean, it's terrifying, but... I think it's my favorite. Like, if I had to pick one moment out of these three episodes, I think that would be it. It's so good. There's so many good. There's so many good moments in these episodes. That or the introduction of Hannibal, because Will go. They're in the crime lab, and Will says he's eating them. And then we cut to Hannibal, not like preparing food, just eating dinner. Yeah. Um. Which is a great introduction to his character. But he's not the he they were talking about in that scene. Oh, yeah. Which is always interesting. Oh, yeah. You're like, oh, this is the murderer of the series, but not of this episode. Um, Did we want to talk more about clothes? Yes. Okay. <laughs> you look like you're more ready to go than I am, so go for it. Okay. So... Everyone in this show is always well-dressed. Even Will, who is not trying, still looks good. But a lot of the things I picked up on had to do with the way the women are dressed. I did not analyze Abigail's friend, Marissa, as much as perhaps I should have done, but I probably could go back because... I think she's wearing a scarf, or maybe Abigail's wearing a scarf. Abigail's wearing a scarf to cover the gash in her neck. And going back to what I said earlier about how when Alana, when Alana is with Will, and just with Will and his enormous flock of dogs, she's wearing blue for the first time. We don't see her wearing red or black. Mm-hmm. And she's usually wearing, like, red, black, and white. Yeah. Like, my she interpretation... Looks like a book. Oh, that's an interesting way to put that. Like, I always interpret it as black and white. It's very classic. It's very professional. It's... But it's also sort of a very hard thing. And then to add color, she adds red, which is a very assertive, aggressive color. So maybe it's almost like an armor that she wears into her professional life. Because if you are working in the FBI, and yes, it's better now, but it's still going to be very much if you're a woman working for a government agency one that has to be fairly violent and deal with fairly violent things at times, you're going to encounter sexist people who think you don't deserve to be there. And you have to put on some kind of armor at some point and show that I am not to be trifled with. Mm -hmm. And Alana is not someone to be trifled with, but when she's with Will, she does wear blue. And in the shots where she is just with Will, we get the sense that she's being very honest with him, very open with him, and that... She doesn't have as much of an armored feeling as she has to me in the other scenes. I wonder, too, if the red ties into her relationship with Hannibal. Because he was her mentor during her residency. Mm-hmm. Which they mentioned at one point. Um, and then later on, we, we do see that, like, they have a relationship independent of all of this. Like, they're colleagues. They know each other. Uh-huh. Um, and it's interesting that that isn't present when she's with Will. That is interesting. Because, like, thinking of red as, like, the murder color, but also Hannibal never wears red. 
Really? I thought one of his ties was like a deep red. Oh, probably was. But he always has like gorgeous like satin ties and like these really intricate knots. They're very high end. He's very fancy. But a lot of the time when we see Abigail, especially when she's having that interview when she's on her walk with um, with Jack and Hannibal when she's still at the psychiatric facility, she is dressed all in blue. Mm-hmm. It's a blue pea coat, a blue scarf. Gosh, I would kill someone for that pea coat. Oh, she does wear a lot of blue. She's also wearing blue when we first see her in episode one mm-hmm. when Will is talking about how this guy has a daughter. We see her, like, drive up to her dad's work, because you kind of see him in a hard hat, and he's all blurry. You see her get out of the car, she's wearing a blue sweater. And I can't remember what she's wearing where, in the scene where she finds the hair in the pillow, and Nicholas Boyle breaks into her house and everything goes to hell in a handbasket. I don't remember either. I'd have to rewatch that scene. I'm going to have to rewatch it if I start showing Jesse the series, so that I have someone to watch it with besides you, because we (laughs) have, like, lives and need to sleep to live. Yeah. Which sucks. Um, if I could have one superpower, that would be it, is not needing to sleep. Right? But honestly, for me, that gives credence to my Abigail is not an accomplice, or at the very least, not a witting, knowing, willing accomplice. Mm-hmm. There is a moment that we didn't talk about when they all go back to the hunting cabin right before they discover Marissa's body. When he's. Is when, when Abigail realizes he was feeding them to them. Yeah. Um, which is either a very good performance or she's panicking because she's realizing that her dad killed all these girls so he wouldn't have to kill her, which I don't think had occurred to her before. Yeah. Like, even if she was an accomplice, if she didn't make the connection, Mm -hmm. then learning about it after the fact would still be horrifying. Yeah. And, like, that's another reason I give credence to the Abigail's Innocent camp, and that's the camp I am in. But, you know, I can understand how people would, would say that, that she's... I can understand how people would be in the accomplice camp. Well, but, like, and I can hardly blame Jack for, like, assuming it, because... If you're the FBI director, you have to... You, you have to just play the worst-case scenario and you hope have, that you're wrong. You have to look under that bed, because if you don't go there yourself, something bad could happen and you will have to be dragged there. If you don't go there yourself, you'll make Will Graham do it. <laughs> Yeah. And then he will fall apart. A big thing that I noticed, and I'm not certain of the significance of, is that every outfit, because Freddie tends to be the most varied in her style choices. In one scene, she's wearing a tie-dye shirt. In a scene where she approaches Alana, she's wearing a cape with a leopard print lining, which, gosh, I love that cape. In the first scene we see her, she's naked. Yeah. But in any scene where she's dressed, Freddie Lowndes always has gold earrings. Interesting. And I feel like there's a significance and a symbolism to that, but I can't, for the life of me, think of any of it right now. I will do more research and come back because I assume we're going to see her. Well, and she'll be again. around. Yeah. So I can. Look well, we'll definitely up. circle back to a lot of this because a lot of like it is a lot of the same characters. Because like there's some like quote monster of the week type stuff. But it's also, like, the Will and Hannibal show and, like, their associates, which is all these people. Yeah. So. Um, the last thing I wanted to do, I wanted to have, like, a normal and good segment. Okay. Um, because this is actually a phrase that I repeat a lot in my life. It comes from the 
church primary cookbook that we made when I was very small. Okay. Um, like pre-moving to Utah, so I can't have been older than three. And my recipe that I submitted was my mom's spaghetti recipe. And I said she takes noodles and sauce and zucchini and mushrooms and puts it together in a pot. It tastes normal and good. And then I realized, like, as I grew up, like, how often I would, like, say that. And, like, how much of an important thing that is to, like, strive for in your life is, like, a sense of normalcy, whatever that means for you. Yeah. And how, like, that in and of itself is good. Um... Which is why I finally decided, like, to name that my blog. And then I wanted to have, like, a segment where we talk about it. So the thing that I was thinking of for this week is because, like, as I mentioned earlier, I don't cook. Um, I wish that I did because I do like doing it. But I hate cleaning up and I hate shopping and I hate meal planning. Um, I just need to get a subscription service is what I need to do. It takes all the the boring parts out of it for me. (laughs) But I have noticed... In my rewatches of Hannibal, since I've been living on my own, I do tend to be better at cooking for myself and making food and, like, enjoying the shopping and cooking process when I'm watching this show. Yeah. For whatever that's worth. (laughs) I think that's cool. Like, I don't want to dig too deeply into it, but, like, I was walking around the grocery store the other day and I kept thinking about... Hannibal's line where he says, I'm very careful about what I put into my body, so I end up preparing most meals myself. And I was like, what a way to live, man. Like, what a good example minus the cannibalism part. Yeah. You know? Um, So I was thinking about that while I was going grocery shopping the other day. Um, So that is a normal and good thing from my life in the last couple weeks. (laughs) Is grocery shopping for myself and, like, actually making food. Yeah. See, I love that. You know... It's nice to get inspiration to cook, even if that inspiration is from, like, a person who maybe cooks things that you shouldn't. Like humans. Yeah, like humans. I guess the closest thing I can think of, I've started really upping my product, I guess my content output goal, because I've been working on a novel that I have wanted to write since 2010, when I started college, and then, like, that took over my life. As it does. You know, working, getting married, having a kid. And now I really have been starting to put priority on trying to actually tell this story and get it done because I would like to, you know, I would like to be an author. It would be nice to be able to bring in extra income for my family by telling stories professionally and make a living at it and, you know, be able to do that. Yeah. Because that would be nice. And, you know, maybe if I... My lips to God's ears. If I got, like, J.K. Rowling level successful at it, it would be nice to be able to get my husband out of his job that stresses him out sometimes. It would be nice to be able to give him a chance to find his passion. And it'd be nice to be able to provide for my family, doing what I love, and to be able to honestly prove that I'm good at at doing what I love. But my original goal that I set for myself after my anniversary, because my my last goal was I'm going to finish this chapter by my anniversary, which I did. And then I said, I'm going to have my next chapter finished by the 5th of September for a couple reasons. 
One, it's a date that's easy for me to remember because it is a birthday shared by my uncle, my brother-in-law, and Freddie Mercury. And it sort of became living my passion and trying to be really good at it, but kind of kind of became a way to honor Freddie Mercury, who I admire a lot as a person, as a musician, as what have you. And then I got sick. Well, first, first I kind of dicked around for a little while because it was my anniversary and I was having fun. And then like, you know, life happens. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, okay, I'm really going to get down to brass tacks and I'm going to write this chapter of my book by September the 5th. And then we got a cold. Like we all got a cold and I got it the worst because I'm pregnant and I have no immune system right now. And by the time I was all better, it was two days ago. <laughs> but I did it. I pushed myself and I gave myself the time and I found a way to make it work. And I like, I, I wrote a whole chapter. And the fifth is tomorrow. Like you did it. I did it. That's awesome. I did it and I feel great. I mean, it doesn't, it's not the most normal thing, but given that I like did it as a birthday present for a dead man. Well, but it's like the thing that you want to be normal. Like you want it to be normal to be writing. Yeah. So you're taking steps to make that the norm. Yeah. Granted, I don't think I could can keep pushing out a chapter every two days. Well, yeah. Cause like- But even just consistency. It was stressful having to try and research everything I needed to know. I actually had one of my characters eat crispy roasted duck with a cumberland sauce. Heyo! <laughs> All's tying back together! I'm just saying, if you ever want to get adventurous and like make a themed food based on the episodes we watched that week, I wouldn't say no. Okay. I'm giving you free reign. Well, I think pretty much that's pretty much it for this week. Everything, yeah. It's been two hours and 53 minutes, so I'm going to do a lot of editing. Um, well, some of it was us moving around and yeah, there's like big chunks to take out in the middle, which is nice. Um, and for three hours of TV, three hours of discussion isn't super unreasonable because if we were doing one episode a week, it would be an hour per hour. So the question is whether people want to listen to three hours of talking about this. We shall see. Yeah. Um, I don't even have like contact info or like we're on iTunes. We are on iTunes. That's that's all I got happened. at this point. Um, rate and subscribe as you do. Tell your friends if you think they'd be interested, or if you know they like this show, or if you just like to hear us gab. I know some people went to the old podcast because you liked hearing us gab. This is yeah, that, that we just too. we just kind of have a focus now, which. Admittedly, we needed that. <laughs> so, hopefully this helps. Um, next week, we're doing episodes four, five, and six. Season one. Four, five, and six. And, and that's uh, all. That's that. Yeah. We'll see you next time. Yeah. And, I don't know, I guess we should sign off. I'm Amber Sorensen. I'm Lindsay Sunderland. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. Normal and Good podcast is produced by me, Amber Sorensen. The theme music is Red Hills Solstice from the album Round the World by Lobo Loco and is licensed under Creative Commons. You can find this track and more at freemusicarchive.org slash music slash Lobo underscore Loco. 
For more, visit my website, normalandgood.com, or find me on Twitter at Amber underscore Jane underscore nine. Thanks for listening.